You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. podcast i'm your host doc coyle sorry if i'm making noise over here i'm adjusting my my volume uh yeah it's been i don't know about 10 days since my last episode i was trying to get this out a little sooner but you know how it goes all right it was a long it was a holiday weekend so you know y- y'all still got barbecue in your chest i don't know if, if you were ready for another episode but uh yeah i've been out on this european tour with ice nine kills and yeah, it's been going. It's been going really, really great. Um, we just played another Metallica show the other day in Hamburg. A lot of fun. Definitely my favorite one out of the three we've done so far. It's weird because you're like, "Hey, we're on tour at Metallica," but it's really like four shows or five shows in <laughs> in like six weeks or something like that. So uh, it's still, hey, we're on the tour. Okay, however you want to slice it, you're not on the tour, all right? Unless you are. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been great out here. Definitely hitting that that part of the tour where you're just getting a little tired, you know. You're feeling it, feeling feeling all the uh, all the mileage on your body. And keep in mind, I had three Bad Wolves shows leading into this, so my tour started like a week early, then pre-production, then all the stuff. And uh, one thing I actually I forgot to announce on here is that I joined up with Twitch. Um, so I need all the X-Man fans, please, if you're you know someone who, who likes Twitch and enjoys the live streaming experience, uh, my Twitch is at Doc Coyle. It's easy to find. Please subscribe, follow. Um, you'll, be get, you'll get email notifications every time I go live. And originally, I signed up with Twitch not knowing all this touring stuff was going to happen so i was you know getting all set up at home and i was gonna have a schedule and it was gonna be like high-end cameras and audio and all this stuff and then pretty much the ice nine thing got thrown in my lap and i was off to learning material and it was kind of a secret so and i wasn't really set up technically so that pushed everything back and then another project came my way which was really massive in the midst of that and that's kind of a secret and i haven't been able to talk about that um and so everything kind of got screwed up so my twitch kind of launch is not exactly what i wanted it to be because i wanted to i thought i was gonna be home for months and i wanted it to be like a consistent thing like oh i'm gonna do it these hours and now i've just been kind of going live when i can uh on the road 
and especially being in Europe, odd hours. So bear with me, but please, please check it out. Uh, definitely going to be getting a lot more in depth and professional with it as time moves on. All right. Um, so please do that. I appreciate it. And, you know, that other project, who knows if I'll ever be able to talk about it. Um, I would love to talk about it because it's really cool. But um, <laughs> state secrets, all right? If, if you know, you're going to know. If you don't know, you, you won't know. Anyway, so what I want to talk about today is a Twitter exchange. And I, I always feel slightly embarrassed when I talk about Twitter on here because it's such like a an inside the bubble kind of thing. And, you know, people on Twitter tend to think they're the center of the universe, which they are not, of course. But uh, but sometimes it does kind of bear certain exchanges that I think are relevant to to talk about. And this hat this is I basically want to talk about a response to a post I did um, regarding protesters blocking traffic. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you what I posted. And listen, if you guys agree, disagree, totally fine. Uh, but anyway, so I posted, uh, if your protest involves blocking traffic, you're a selfish asshole. Those people stuck in traffic have no part for or against your cause. Uh, if people trying to get, it's people trying to get home to their kids or running late for work, or maybe in a medical emergency, this should be illegal. By the way, I'm pr I think, uh, that that is illegal. You know, that's why like traffic laws exist, but anyway, um, whether you agree with that or not, um, I got a very fierce backlash from, you know, what I would describe as left-wing people. Um, but I think it's primarily, you know, I guess more in the kind of like anarchist left kind of side of, side of things. But, you know, I got called everything from a bootlicker um, <laughs> and what, what a lot of these people um, cued in on was the fact that I'm wearing a public enemy shirt, but at the top of the shirt, it's in my profile pic, it says fight the power. And all these, you know, I mean, like at least half a dozen, probably more people are like, you know, like I give you an example of one wearing a fight the power shirt, but telling people how to protest seems kind of hypocritical, but to each their own, you know, and I responded, well, how does stopping working stiffs from getting their job fight the power? You know, and that's anyway, there's a, there's a lot of el elements to this, um, you know, one for the for the idea that I feel like the pe you know people that came at me. Very few, I think, made an actual argument, and I think so many people uh, look at uh, Twitter as this like battleground, you know, where it's just like I'm engaging with an enemy. Right. And, and my general point was that I don't think, A, I, I just think when you just block traffic, you know, because this was inspired where I saw, this was somewhere, and I believe in the UK, uh, where climate protesters were, were standing in front of traffic. And this guy rolled up and was like, I don't know if this guy was stuck in traffic or he was just someone who was a passerby, but he was like physically pulling these people out of the road. And he got arrested and people were complaining about that. And I go, well, no, he's committing assault, so he should definitely be arrested. You're not you're not allowed to beat people up just because they're in your way. But I also think what they're doing is wrong as well, because I don't believe that it helps your cause. 
I think it makes people because those all those people stuck in traffic, whether they're pro environment or ambivalent to the environment. I don't think it makes them more sympathetic to your cause. I don't think it's going to change their their habits. I think it's going to go, hey, those people are assholes. I I think it's a very blunt instrument, and I don't care, you know what. And then a lot of people went and go. Actually, I'll give an example. This this one lady on here um let's see if i can find this all right um here's how she responded um it's almost like really it's almost almost like it's re- really inconvenient and uncomfortable to not have access to things because of forces outside of your control like systemic racism or bigoted hate fuel legislation targeting your human rights you know the you know more important shit than traffic. Fucking deal with it. Uh, and I thought that was a very uh, immature way to look at things. And very, like, ends justify the means. Which basically says, okay, if my cause is just enough, then it ju- then basically anything I do is worthwhile. Because I'm fighting something that is that evil. Um, but... You know, I would argue, you know, and then and then basically I, I responded to that with a pretty long um, thread, just you know, being more nuanced, basically saying that I feel like I'm for protest, but I do feel like we're in a phase right now where a certain group of people, a you know, fairly wide swath of people, definitely young people, definitely, and I think maybe in response to the Trump organiz- uh the Trump era. You know, you, you look a lot of this started with like the women's march, right? The day after uh Trump won, right? Where it's this thing where when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think protest became like a culture. Right. So by the way, apologize for the uh the German sirens in the background. But it became this blunt instrument where it's like, well, no matter what the problem, we're going to protest. Um, and a point I made, I go, well, A, all protests are not equal, right? Because all causes are not equal. And just because you can do it, and because I think from an activist standpoint, it's one of the ways to feel the most like connected and feeling like I'm doing something, right? It, it is a very active part about being an activist. Right, it's being out there, being with the people, connecting, um, and I think it, it it creates a lot of kind of forward momentum. But the question is, how do you get the things done that you want to get done? And I think this this uh, this this woman who responded to me, I think it's this like force, like it, it is really like a it, it is a protest through force that you will deal with me, you know, one way or, or another. And and then what I think a lot of people do is then they'll go, oh, well, this is what happened during the civil rights era, and this is what he did. And it goes, okay, to some degree, yes. But, you know, and they'll go, oh, they, they blocked, you know, because I brought up Montgomery, uh, Selma, you know, and, uh, you know, oh, they, they blocked traffic. Yes, but I would argue that's not what helped their aims you know like if you you look into a lot of those those situations they picked certain towns with like evil 
racist sheriffs because they knew that sheriff is going to bring the dogs on us. That sheriff is going to bring the uh, the hoses out because the whole idea was there was a strategy that you had to, as the protester, and especially when you're protesting for civil rights um, as black people in America, that it had to there it had to be a image right whether through photographs or through video that you are the victim right and i think a lot of these people don't realize that there's that public idea of it the pr element of if you're protesting and one second you look like the aggressor then you lose people's sympathy Right. So the goal needs to either be I need to change hearts and minds. Right. With the the, the populace or I need to be able to convince politicians to do other kinds of change or maybe I mean, depending on what your um, your goal is, maybe it's I need to convince politicians, maybe I need to convince um, corporations or things like this to make make certain changes. But at some point. You have to change someone's mind, you know, and I just don't think it's an effective methodology. And I think it legitimately hurts people, whether that's like I said, I I mean, if someone's trying to get home to their kids and there's no one watching their kids, it's not just an inconvenience. You know, if someone has a medical emergency and, you know, and then people will kind of cherry pick, oh, here's this one time they let the ambulance through. Okay, they did that one time, but I'm sure it doesn't happen every time. Um. And I think through this, I saw, you know, I had to block this one dude because he just literally was just like, I don't care what you think. And it's like, what's the point of having a conversation? Because if someone was to give me a tangible argument that was against what I was saying, I'm open to like changing my mind. You know, it's like, give me, okay, tell me where I'm wrongheaded. Because I think people, some people, oh, well, here's an example where, it worked or here's an example where it's effective. I'm like, okay, well, give me that. I'm willing to hear more information and evolve, but I don't think because they're not willing to hear new information and evolve their stance, they presume no one else is like that. Um, and it was a really depressing uh, kind of cycle of like 48 hours where people just say to me, fight the power until you want to fight. I'm like, what power are you fighting? <laughs> You know, it's just this, it's just this blanket, you know, it's like, uh, it's so surface level, you know, it's like putting a bumper sticker across your chest. And by the way, it's like, I'm wearing a a public enemy shirt, not a fight the power shirt. And it's like, what does fight the power even mean? Who is the power at any given time? Right. That can mean a hundred different things. Um, so I, I was depressed by how shallow it was, how surface level and, you know, and I, I use the word reactionary because I, I, you know, saying that the, the left wing reactionaries came out, came after me. And then people responded that uh, reactionary, I guess, is mainly or primarily, in, you know, a right wing thing. Um, and so, I, you know, maybe I, I use that term wrong. Um, so I may have to look into that a little more. But it felt that way. It felt very knee jerk. And like there wasn't a lot of thought behind it. Um and yeah, so it was, it was definitely kind of a kind of a bummer, but you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta say what you think, um, regardless of what that um, blowback is gonna is gonna look like, and uh, and sometimes you just have to have to deal with it. Anyway, that was a long rant. My apologies.
I could, I could probably keep going on this subject, but it, it's like, I want to talk to people. I want to have a back and forth. I don't want to, it's not just about yelling, you know, and kind of just battling or I don't, I don't know what a lot of the aims of these individuals are, but it's uh, probably people I would probably agree with a lot of stuff, but they did not really see the room to kind of coalesce on those things. It was more about, I don't like this tweet <laughs> to whatever degree. And then I'm going to sum up everything about a person based on that, which is really, really extremely wrongheaded in my opinion and, uh, and not good for the discourse. So anyway, sorry if that, uh, if that bored you, but I, I, I hope it didn't bore you. Anyway, we do have a show sponsor this week. Um, we have a band called Earth Burial, and we're going to play a new song for them entitled Crocodile Tears.
just heard a brand new song from Earth Burial and uh, they're from Richmond, Virginia. That song is called Crocodile Tears and that was killer. That was really, really great. Um, I was I enjoyed that very much. Recorded very well. Great vibes, great tones. Sounded pissed, which I am definitely down with. And I want to apologize to the band for uh, getting this on here much later than I anticipated. This probably should have came out like a month ago. But uh, given all the craziness that I've been dealing with, every, everything's a little late. So just thank you to them for their their patience. I appreciate it. And congrats on a killer song. Uh, anyway, it's Earth Burial. They're from Richmond, Virginia, made up of members of Shy Low, who's on Pelagic, Pelagic, Pelagic Records, <laughs> Reap and So, and My da Darling Fury. Um, this song came out on April 7th. So again, apologies for it being a little late. And was produced by Greg Thomas. Who also produced End, Misery Signals, and Shy Halud, and as well as with uh, Chris Tetty, uh, for, who worked with uh, The World is a Beautiful Place. Artwork done by Hell Simulation, Ethan from Primitive Man, and uh, the EP should be out now. And uh, yeah, I think that's really, really killer music. Uh, check them out on Instagram at Earth Burial or their bandcamp, earthburialmusic.bandcamp.com. Uh, their YouTube is also Earth Burial Music, or you can just go over to their website, earthburialmusic.com. Uh, great band. Definitely, man. I'd love to see them live. I'm sure they they kick ass. Uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, just uh, get up in the DMs on social media or drop me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, it is EX. All right. That's kind of a lot. It's a long intro, but it's going to go that way sometimes. Uh, you know, sometimes your boy got some shit to get off his chest. All right. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have the great Ben Benjamin Weinman, uh, formerly of Dillinger Escape Plan, currently with Suicidal Tendencies, back on the show for a second time. Uh, he's doing this great um, educational series on Soundfly about being an independent artist and uh, wanted to kind of talk to him about that. And, you know, just sometimes it's good to get a little catch in uh, or catch up, excuse me, with uh, some of my favorite people out there. And he's just, you know, someone I've just always admired um, is his mind and his creativity and also just his his um, kind of commitment to, for lack of a better phrase, keeping it real. You know, he has a lot of integrity and uh, and that's rare. Not that I don't think 
that people have integrity, but just being able to kind of stick to your guns with it and still maintain a level of success. So uh, it's always a, a great privilege to speak with Ben. So I'm going to shut up, get to the conversation, enjoy this incredible talk with my very old, old friend and just genuine badass, Mr. Ben Weinman. The, the main reason why we're talking, of course, is this Soundfly uh, educational program you've you've put together, and I, I've had the opportunity to look through about I don't know about twenty percent of it. Um, okay. There's a lot there, clearly. And uh, how did all this come about? Well, uh, I had been doing these kind of master classes while on tour, so I. I did a few just independently at some like studios. Uh, the first one I did was in Australia and it was about two hours of, of um, kind of interactive um, uh, classes on really what it ended up being was the business of art. Because what I found is that the young people that came in there looking for some kind of Instagram quick fix or uh, some kind of trick about how to make quick music or make it without going on tour I didn't know that world. That wasn't me. Uh, and I realized what I do know is doing things your own way, being completely uncompromising and then selling that honesty as your product to people who want the alternative for people who want something they believe in. And what I realized with Dillinger is that the more honest you are and the more real and the more you stick to your guns, the more you can take risks and the more your fans will just follow you into the fire. Literally like, you know, you can blow fire at them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so I've learned so many lessons and a lot of the lessons in this course are, are based on things I would have done differently, or I didn't do till later in my career. And I wish I did earlier. So it's certainly not some kind of, um, thing where, where I'm trying, I'm claiming to be some genius. I've just had been doing it for so long. And a lot of things happen by mistake. And those happy accidents are very valuable because it's those things that, create your sound in some ways. Um, and it's the skill is acknowledging that something happened special and repeating it, I think. Um, and then uh, seeing what works and surviving it when it doesn't, you know? So, so a lot of these lessons are, are things from along the way that I've learned are proven. And, and as I've gotten more involved in business and consulted for businesses and worked with startups, I've realized that, the DNA of somebody who starts a band. Sorry, Liam Wilson from uh, Dillinger Escape Plan is messaging me if you're hearing that. You tell him to <laughs> shut the fuck up. All right, tell him we're doing a goddamn and Use a lot of curse words like I'm doing. <laughs> Shout out there, stop, mother flicker. That's no, right. but um, yeah, fuck that. So um, it, 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 I've realized that there's a lot to, to teach. And um. And like I said, as I've worked with other kinds of businesses and startups and consultant and on the board of things, I've realized that DNA, that startup DNA, the founder of any kind of company or startup or band or something like that, it, the ones that really change culture are the ones that we're not doing it for money. We're just in a garage, programming, jamming, whatever, and, and all of a sudden did something so undeniable that it influenced culture in some way. So that that's what my 
course is about, trying to help people who are doing it for those reasons in that way monetize that. How can they make a living? Because as you know, bands that were much bigger than Dillinger, um, you know, I, I'd find them like living in someone's pool house or like, you know, bear, living with their parents or, and I, and I'd say, you guys are huge. What, what kind are you guys doing? Okay. Financially. And they'll be like, well, if I don't tour constantly, I'll, I, I can't, I can't survive at all. And it made me realize that there's a lot to learn out there. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of complexities to that. And, you know, we've probably seen, a lot of bands that it looks big from the outside looking in, like just because they're on a tour bus or just because their song is charting on the radio. A lot of times there's certain bands and certain businesses in general, they're bringing in a lot of money, but they're spent, you know, the cost of doing business is also very high. So the margins are not what you'd kind of hope they'd be. Whereas a lot of DIY bands that are, you know, like I remember like every time I die, you know, this is like maybe, you know, three or four years before they broke up. Great, great they'd example. Be, they'd be doing like theaters, having really big bands opening up for them on tour buses and they'd be in a van and they'd probably yeah. make, bring home three times as much as the band that oh, had, yeah. ha, had a bus, but they, because they were willing to do that. And I get it, like not everyone's will, willing to do that. Sure. Uh, you know, motherfuckers got bad necks, bad backs, they're old. <laughs> there, yeah. There's, well, there's, there's a, no, you're, you're right. Like, like there's also, as you know, the element of like, do you want to be a band? Sometimes you'll kill each other in a van yeah. and you'll be so exhausted that you won't perform at a level. And for, for a band like Dillinger and, and the bands that you like the kind of bands you play in and things like that production and wanting to be at your, your top of your game is really important. Getting there on time to sound check, put yourself in the best possible position to then have complete free expression once you're on stage. Uh, you can't be getting off stage, loading your van at three in the morning, driving till six, and then like your call at the club is 11, you know, like it's just, it's not going to work. So it, it's really all, um, <clears throat> a balance. So for us, Dillinger, there were certain things where it was, um, you know, it would have been, um, a penny richer dollar poorer type of thing, you know, like certain things I've realized the savings isn't worth it. You're, you're sacrificing something valuable. And in other places it's like, okay, these are corners that can be cut. There's ways of doing this um, more efficiently or, or, or with less, less hands in the pot. Um, and there are things that work that are less traditional, but maybe less sexy, you know, and ways of making money. Yeah. Um, one of the things I kind of thought about, you know, just going through part of the course was thinking about this idea between material like this, which I think, you know, I loved even, I think I might've even seen something about this before I, you know, I was reached out about doing the interview, but I, I love it from your perspective because I, there's a lot of how to, right. There's a lot of, oh, this is what you do, but not particularly from this perspective, mm -hmm. but you know, part of me also thinks uh, the actual experience, right? Like, like that's it's experience is often more often than not the best teacher. Mm. Um, is that something? Do you think uh, whoever might approach this material, do you feel that that's still kind of primary 
to to kind of because sometimes you can understand a, a lesson intellectually, but it doesn't really kind of hit the center of your soul until you actually see it in action. No, it's true, and and there's a lot of things in in my course that will sound great, uh, but you probably won't see it until until you see it. You probably won't feel it until you're there. Um, but at least you can have some of that in the back of your mind and it may help you guide you a little along the way. Um, you know, there's so much more I couldn't have, I wasn't able to touch on, uh, that I, I, I really feel like I got to do more because as I do this, I realize how important it is and, and how much I've learned along the way. And there's so many of these, like, you know, <clears throat> music business 101 or, you know, ma music masters class or, how to gain fans and followers or how to sign a record deal. <clears throat> There's all of that, but I have never found any kind of chorus or any kind of guidance or mentoring where someone says, okay, you are going to make truly uncompromising art. You're going to do something different. You're going to do something important. You're going to do something because it fills a hole that you need to be filled. You're not going to worry about the trends. You're not going to worry about what other people want from you. And then once you do that, you're going to be able to sell that because there is a there is a percentage of people out there that f can smell something real from a mile away. And those people will spend a lot of money. So uh, one of the things I talk about is uh, the, the percentage of fans thing as opposed to um, – worrying about a big record deal or a chart hitting, you know, hitting some charts or whatever. And uh, I give an example of a friend of mine who's a giant Bollywood star and she uh, has 15 million followers on Instagram or something like that. She's a metalhead. And I met her because she was a Dillinger escape plan fan and there's not a lot of metalheads in India, but um, so we became friends and she's a musician and she's a wonderful singer and she lived in London. She recorded all this stuff but her movie fans aren't exactly all into the singing stuff. They just want to see her on stage doing the dances, all the crazy romance scenes, these big giant stunts. And I said to her, it's not about 14, 15 million followers buying or absorbing your music. It's about capturing 5% of those 15 million and getting them to spend a hundred bucks on you a year on something music, do the math. <laughs> yeah. And it blew her mind. It blew her mind because when she did the math, she's like, wow, that's like legitimate, legitimate income, like a lot of money. And that's really sounds really doable, you know? Um, so there's things like that. that you just kind of sometimes have to change your perspective. There's lessons I've learned with Dillinger that were unexpected. Uh, we started doing limited edition merch. That's not like a new concept. But it was a way for us to subsidize um, money and things in between touring. And what we realized really quick is if you do things like a shirt for every song on the album, that gives you like 12, 13 different designs that can continuously come out in between a cycle. Uh, and it creates something that is part of a set that the super fan will want every single one of. It's like a trading card. And to our surprise, when we did limited a number of shirts, they did okay. You know, they did well. They sold out eventually. When we put a time limit on it, when we said these shirts are only available for 24 hours starting tomorrow at noon, we sold four times as many shirts in 24 hours 
than it took for like two weeks to get out rid of the small number that we were that we were putting out there as the limited quantity. Something about that urgency, something about that 24 hours made people hustle and pay. So that was unexpected. We thought less numbers would 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 be more profitable. If there's less of them, they'll be more valuable. But it was the less the least the, the little time that there was to buy them that made them more valuable. <laughs> and we sold more of them, you know. So so we learned a lot of cool things just by by hook or by crook. Yeah, um something that kind of dawned on me because so much of this is is drawn from your very particular, very unique experience with this one band that even uh, amongst the backdrop of a, of a pretty vibrant scene and a lot of just wonderful kind of independent culture and all that, you guys still stood out. There was something special about what your band had created from a artistic standpoint, from a technical standpoint, from just a like, fuck man everyone has to pay attention to this and part of me wonders is your situation so unique right that is it you know is it tough for anyone to apply especially today because it's funny like all the things you you said in your intro about playing the clubs and having to sell tickets and not hitting a wall there then finding common cause with the hardcore community even though musically it wasn't necessarily what made sense but this whole other diy element that made sense i found that was literally my exact trajectory i know it was yeah um so but i also go does that exist now i mean and and and, and by the way i'd say bands from our world are seem to be way way bigger and have way more opportunities than we had um but I was just wondering tr- some of that, like certain things you mentioned about developing scenes and kind of getting involved with local communities. Is, is that as relevant today or is, I, I don't, I'm just more asking the question. More no, so you know, like, I, I, I wasn't statement. sure at one point, but there is a thriving hardcore underground scene out there. Yeah. It, it is, you know, it, uh, people like you and me are old and pretentious. And we're not going <laughs> to some dump like the, the meat locker, you know, yeah. <laughs> but like, I've been there and, and it has, the energy and the, of those early clubs that we all played yeah. and there's stuff brewing under the ground there. And, 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 you know, bands that became very pretty large, the power trips or the code oranges. I mean, they were really, they were in those scenes. Sure. The, the more current versions of those scenes before they got really big, you know? Um, so they do exist, but now there's something different in addition where there's an artist who never goes out on the road has no interest in going out on the road, uh, doesn't want to get in a van, and they are still like having a career doing Instagram, YouTube, um, Twitch kind of guitar lessons, or just putting out kind of music with programmed drums. Or uh, and there's a whole another element to bands like Periphery who are going out on the road, but are also very heavily involved in fan interaction in the digital age as well. And so uh, there's there's definitely I think more a wider range of, of of colors to work with right now, but I still feel it comes down to can you bring it live? Can you present as something important and real? And will that honestly honesty break through the noise of the internet and and exist 
undeniably because it just has to. It's just, it's not you're trying marketing tricks and you're buying fans and you're doing anything to collaborate with some rapper for a hundred thousand dollars from your label. Like those things are great, but I find those things don't last. They're not career bands. We used to be doing these warp tours and we'd see these bands that where did this band come from? They're massive. They're headlining. They're 10 times bigger than us. We've been around 15 years, whatever. Like what the fuck, you know? And then the next year there was another one. And the next year there was another one. And where are they now? They're working at McDonald's, (laughs) you know? And it's like, because they were just doing the thing in the moment. They were part of a trend. Whereas like, we just kept going like this, all the fireworks up here, often much more playing in front of much more people, much more, going on and more people at their shows and then we were down here but we've just for 20 years just kept going like this and and this was happening here and we just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going and those fireworks just dropped you know and we were uh, as successful we were as profitable we were as popular and i feel musically relevant as ever on our last show as we were on our first uh if not well more popular obviously a lot more popular but as far as relevancy i think we were very relevant i was very proud of our last album i felt really passionate about it and you know i feel we went out really on top yeah absolutely even though you know guys like me was like yo man why you gotta why you gotta leave man stick around you like (laughs) you like you like doc them bands didn't last i'm like motherfucker neither did you on purpose. <laughs> but that was the point. It was on purpose. We wanted to do on purpose. Listen, you yeah. need to, what you need to do is get one of these Motley Crew fucking reunion paychecks, all right? That's what you need to do, all right? Add an extra wing to that house. You be our okay? manager. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm I'm sure that offers have come in, all right? I'm sure they have. Uh, it's, it's, interestingly enough, calculating infinity just keeps popping up and popping up on all these lists and I think that just feels so I feel so proud of that because we made that album when we truly had no expectations of what people we we had no idea what people ex, expectations were of us really. I mean on the underground scene there was something because we put out the under the, the rhyme board EP and everyone's like all right, how are they going to top that in a full album? So there was that small pressure on the scene but we really weren't competing against anything but ourselves in in some way. And um, we had already reached the height of what we thought we could ever do. There was a CD available and a record available in a store somewhere. That was unbelievable to us. We made it. That was it. We didn't expect even that. So that album that uh, I'm finding has influenced massive programmers who are doing AI projects that said calculating was their biggest influence or you know, uh, 43% burnt was just on the top Rolling Stones, top 100 metal songs of all time yesterday. I mean, a hundred songs, I mean, of metals, I mean, how many millions of metal songs out there? I mean, thousands of metal bands. So that's unbelievable that something that was that unmarketable and that different at the time has lasted this long and has had that impact. Um, and I think if we had made a band that sounded like Black Sabbath or tried to be kind of a, uh, you know, uh, just a metalcore band or whatever, I don't think we would have ever had that notoriety or ever had that influence. Yeah, I mean, 
it's crazy when, when I think about that album because my ex first experience hearing it is the best experience anyone could ever have because God forbid was in the studio getting ready to do our first record, Reject That's the right. Sickness. Or we might have been doing the demos for Rejectus, I can't remember. But Steve Evans played us Calculating Infinity through the big ass speakers at, at Tr <laughs> Tracks East. And you're just getting your, you know, it's like that uh that picture of the guy in the Maxell couch just getting blown, <laughs> getting his face blown back. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, and and then you're like, oh, and then we gotta make an album after this. You just you like you're you're halfway inspired and halfway like feeling feeling bad about yourself. Um but, but, but that's what it's all about. I mean, we all we all pushed each other in in that scene. You know, that was what was good. It was like a, it was like a, we were all frenemies. We all loved each other and wanted wanted everyone to succeed, but also, damn, I want to. That was a good show. They were awesome. We got to beat it. You know, <laughs> that was that was all our attitudes back then. It was this healthy competition. So, yeah, I mean, that was good. Hey, well, you guys influenced us a lot. And there's a lot of stuff on uh, our first Century Media album, Determination, that to this day, I don't know if there was, we were probably the first band that was combining Swedish metal and like yeah. math core. <laughs> yeah, you know you that. But if, if it wasn't for you guys, that, that definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. Speaking of like Swedish metal, <laughs> whether or not Swedish metal, but I had to record a bunch of my leads on Calculating Infinity at Michael Romeo from Symphony X's house. Oh yeah, I've been there. He he worked on a couple of God forbid records. Dude, talk about pressure. Like playing guitar in front of that. That guy's just sitting there picking his teeth. And I'm like, Steve's like, do the solo. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy is like the most ridiculous guitar. <laughs> yeah. This guy walks around sweeping up the floor with that guitar like it's nobody's business. But he's the he's nicest like, guy in the world. Writing. Nicest in the world, but he's so unbelievably talent talented. At the time, the new Star Wars is, had came out. Like the, you know, the Jar Jar Binks ones. The prequels. The prequels, right. And he was going through all the scores and breaking them apart and analyzing them and finding themes that were backwards of different characters, like crazy, crazy prodigy, next level uh, stuff going on with that guy. So. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he, he did the uh, orchestration on two different, God forbid records and it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, he's he's a brilliant guy. Um so one of the things that had me thinking uh going through the course was I've I've learned so much more about the industry probably in the last, you know, 6 to 7 years as I did in the previous, you know, 10 years just because mm of the world I've kind of gotten into when this whole Bad Wolves thing came out, or even the the time before that, when I was kind of like a free agent out there, just kind of grinding and figuring out my my way, mm -hmm. uh, is just this whole other world of kind of commercial rock, which and yeah. it's it's just a, a whole it different- really world. tipped, you're dipped into a whole nother, a other world, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of just fell here. It wasn't like a, a, a goal of mine or something that uh, I anticipated, but it did kind of open my eyes to this, this kind of industry. And it really is an industry in terms of the types of artists, the labels, the producers, the songwriters, everything that kind of backs up this, mm. um, this piece of the industry. And because the artists that are at the, are at the top of the, the heap of this are just massive. And they, if you, if you can be a manager, of one of those artists, or if you can be the label or 
part of it you can just do very very well for yourself and you go okay you kind of see how the other the other half is living you know sure. and um so some of that's been illuminating some of it's also been a little kind of you know like uh it's it's, it's like that huh and, but yeah. but but some of the things you know and, and i think part of it is just because you know there's certain types of indi- individuals where, where i think you and i are kindred spirits in this way where we end up being people who love making music and creating it, but we're also very interested in why things work and what makes something successful. So we have this very analytical brain that I think sometimes helps me and sometimes hurts me. Mm. Um, but one of the things I've, to me, if you, if I were, you know, I've managed bands or co-managed bands or try to help out. And yep. back in the day, it was all about this music is sick. It's right. cool, right? And then you'd run into all these issues. And now I'm pretty sure the number one driver of whether a, an artist is going to go. When I say go, I don't mean just get like a little following. I mean to have true like crossover potential to be successful. Uh-huh. And, and when I say crossover, it doesn't have to mean they're, they're on the, you know, hot 100 opening right. for Drake, Drake. I'm not saying that, but just be at the in the upper echelon or whatever kind of genre they're they're in is mm-hmm. probably looks and charisma and charisma probably even more than looks like i've i've noticed that if if your band has one of those star quality i guess is is, mm. is a, is a bit better way to kind of sur- yeah. sur- surmise it but then the other thing is that little crazy thing called talent <laughs> that when you get to the tops of these g- genres and you see who's like at the top and you see how good some of these people are, how good the right. songwriters are, how good the producers are, how talented oh, some sure. of these, these singers are. Yeah. And then it made me think about kind of some of the tenets of what you're proposing. If you do all these things and you are uncompromising and you do it for the right reasons, but you don't have the requisite talent or you don't have the requisite charisma, is it still tough is it still is yeah. it still possible well, do you think well that's the thing i mean you, you can't fake that either you know uh, uh i talk about not being the guy to guide people who are just looking for the trick or the magic wand to write the songs or the style that's going to be automatically part of some scene that can thrive and grow quickly um but you can't also be part of like the artists and fake it either so it's not like these concepts are going to work if you're not really truly making honest art that, because like I said, these people who want that can, can smell it a mile away. And if they don't trust you, then they're not going to follow you and they're not going to buy anything and they're not going to spread the word because it's these people who are going to are early adopters and they're going to spread the word about you because they want to find something first and they're excited to talk about it. And that's with anything else, with anything else, whether it's, it was Apple or Harley Davidson, whatever, you know what I mean? These are massive brands that knew how to speak to the person who used those products. So um, they were, it, it's a tribe in a way and, and until it became part of larger culture. So um, with that said, you can't, you can't just, fake it if you don't have it you don't have it and and it's absolutely true uh, i was um watching a band with somebody and they asked how what do i think of them and i said i was friends with people in the band i said you know i think they got some decent songs but they're not going anywhere 
And she's like, why? I mean, they seem good to me. I was like, they just don't have it. it. They don't have it. The guy doesn't have it. She's like, what's it? I'm like, you know it when you see it. I said, Liam Gallagher stands in front of a microphone and does nothing. And he has more stage presence than if this guy ran around the whole fucking room. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah. just it, you know? And um, and so, yeah, you, you can't fake that. So you're saying we could follow all this stuff, but if you don't have it, you're fucked. <laughs> I mean, look, even like you said, these massive pop stars who are perceivably and even sometimes legitimately kind of made or, or produced and, and uh, manufactured, still, if they really do well and really have lasting power, they have it. I mean, Justin Timberlake was part of a boy band. They were manufactured. I hung out in Lou Perlman's. I worked with Lou Perlman's producers, and I was in his studio. And he did in sync. He did Backstreet Boys. He it was an assembly line, and there were so many of them coming through there that you never heard of. All these Aaron Carter looking little weirdo kids who were. It was creepy. <laughs> Let me tell you, it was creepy. I don't know what was going on in there, but the truth is, none of them are Justin Timberlake. You know, so uh, you're right. There is a, a tremendous amount of talent with the people who end up really getting to that level. Um, and, and, and you know, you go see Sean Mendes in concert, as embarrassed as you might be, you're going to walk out there and be like, this fucking kid is talented. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Um, so, and they know how to bring it and they have it. So, yeah, yeah, well, yeah that's, that's, that's true. I agree. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. 
head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah, well, I've, I've just seen that where even if the talent is um, not at the top level, right, in terms of pure singing ability or dancing or whatever, you know, playing, playing whatever, like there's just... Uh, Neil Brennan explained it the best when he's talking about Dave Chappelle. He, like, be, like when you're around someone who has it, you know, and, and Dave Chappelle has generational it, whatever, just mm-hmm. charisma. But and he also he also has equal talent. But he's just like he's like, yeah, you're around him. He's like, people just want to eat his face. <laughs> and, and and I thought that was a, a great way to describe it because I've you know been around some of those people, and then you go. And then I don't know. Have you ever done this? Like, because you're a performer, you're someone who's been the main songwriter. And then do you go ever go, man? Do I? Do I have it? <laughs> Am I like? And I get it. We're not front. We're not uh, the lead singer, and that's a different yeah. kind of pressure and a different kind of spotlight. But it made me even question those things as on my end of like, you know, because I, I want to be like Slash. I want to be like Joe Perry and my, these fucking icons and. You know, well, dude, I mean, look, it is a different time and we don't we don't have MTV. We don't have those kind of platforms. The the amount of noise out there is so great that it's like really hard. The biggest band in the world's guitar player is not Slash, (laughs) you know, and and it's uh, so that we come from a time when we were growing up watching these bands. I mean, that was truly a unique time. So, um, uh, I mean, the the level of pop influence the pop culture influence that these guitar players and, and rock stars had the Axl Roses and the, you know, it, it, it's just in the Motley Cruz and uh, even the hip hop stars of the day were so much more massive than the ones that are just huge on TikTok and sell a ton of albums. And Tim, Tim, I'm sure there's a, yeah. a whole generation of young kids that think of Tim Henson from Polyphia the same way I think of slash, you know, he's, Visually, visually iconic. I think no. it's playing is iconic. No, that that is true. But um, my little niece knows who Slash is. Sure. It's just, and it's not because of anything, well, he, but. I have to say, Slash, though, is probably the most famous yeah. living guitar player. Now that Eddie's has passed away, it's probably right, Slash. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's certain icons, you know. Uh, if my sister knows who they are, Ozzy, Eddie Van Halen, Slash. Then there's, there none of them are from this time, yeah. you know. No, Santana's probably up there as well. Maybe a Santana, but like I said, none of them are from this time. And there's obviously, arguably, much more technically proficient and and just as innovative guitar players coming out now. But sure. um, I think part of it is just just the time. There was gatekeepers back then, for better or for worse. So you had a, a more narrow tunnel of information. So. Um, I mean, everybody was watching something at the same time all over the world often, yeah. you know, MTV Music Awards, spring break, music performance, whatever, you know, it wasn't just the Super Bowl back then. It was, there was, there was many moments, uh, big, big moments for music that a large amount of the world were, were, were viewing at the same time. So um, unfortunately, I, I think it's just a different time, but you are right. I think there's no lessons. There's no magic wand to make someone have it. But one thing that I feel you didn't mention in uh, 
when you talked about the the star quality, the the uh, charisma, the looks, whatever and talent, it is, and talent. I mentioned talent. <laughs> and talent, it's it's luck. Sure. Uh, there's always some element of luck that happens for the people who make it. However, it's learning how to take that luck and parlay that into success that makes that's where the intelligence comes in. That's where the smart smarts come in because so many artists just they blow it they blow it you know and um and i've managed <laughs> some of them you know yeah. and i've yeah worked with artists and i I've, I've seen a lot of tragic things because of ego um and things like that it's, it's it's a shame yeah yeah it's uh because the timing right it's like uh sometimes you can have the right thing just at the wrong time um or just whatever like you have something like a like a market correction like I, I, you probably remember this when pod came out with that song south town and everyone in jersey thought it was that it was an e-town song yeah it kind of, like it kind of like e-town was doing something that was great and they did very well in certain spots but that band yeah. almost like took their lane and it's like that's huh? just that's just luck right it just kind right, of right, 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 right. Like, like E Town opened the door and and they POD walked through. Yep. Yeah. Right. Happens um, all the time. I mean, look absolutely. at look at um, what was that band with the masks that was out before Slipknot from Mushroom from uh, what Mushroom Head? Yeah. Yeah. It just they it just didn't happen. You know, they opened. They were doing. Well, it a, did. I mean, they Mushroomhead has a career. You know, those guys have yeah. done done. I think they've done all right for themselves, and you know, they sure have. They sure have. But they they were you know kind of doing that thing, and um, but they never made it on a on a massive level uh, that that like a Slipknot did. Yeah, it's it's well. There's I also think there are certain careers that, in a sense, it's not really fair to compare to these kind of just lunar <laughs> explosions yeah. that are really but, but generational truth, i'm not i'm not saying it as like these people should have been it and these people shouldn't yeah, have course. i'm saying you know obviously there was something about these guys that made them it and not them you know and that, that's what i'm saying like you may have some, the right ingredients but if everything's not lined up there isn't the luck and then with that luck you don't know how to take that and really roll with it it's just not going to come together um so I wanted to ask you, ask you about your post Dillinger career, which has really been in many ways kind of segmented and stratified, right? In in this idea that you've uh, you you were doing the the draft tongue ex experiment out orchestra, excuse me, experiment yeah. <laughs> orchestra album, <laughs> and uh, which is amazing. I think I, I praised you the last time you were on the show, but I have oh, to praise thanks. you again because I just love that record. Thank um, you. But it seems mainly, you know, you, you joined up with Suicidal as a touring guitar player. I don't know if you write with them or if you're doing stuff in that capacity. I mean, he's not making new music. I, I, gotcha. I've played on some tracks on some stuff, some re-releases, and there's some stuff uh, that was for his solo album. I think I'm going to play some stuff on. But, yeah, he hasn't uh, wanted to really write new Suicidal music. So um, that said, you know, he, he considers me a, a real member. Um, but... It's uh, more of a touring outfit. Yeah. So you're doing that, but then you have a, a career as an artist manager. And as you said, you're involved with startups and kind of business stuff. Um, you know, how much of, of a course like this is kind of informed by this second career as right. 
the manager mind, you know, and the mat and the kind of day to day of what that is, because it it looks something like being the guy who runs Dillinger's skate plan and being the kind of the tip of that spear, but it is a kind of a very different role and different perspective, mm -hmm. especially considering you're working with an artist like Kimbra, who's that's it's a it, from a perspective of what that world looks like and what you kind of have to what issues you have to deal with and what that yeah. game plan looks like must be must be a lot different i would think well like you with bad wolves i, I working with kimber taught me things and i had to teach her things um i had to source outfits from gucci for red carpets i had to deal with glam okay you're, you're doing this video it's like this 10 minute thing we need hair and makeup because she's a girl and, you know, and that's her thing and her looks important. So these are things I never had to deal with. And, and that was an interesting experience for me. But um, I also had to show her how to like meet in the punk rock middle a little bit sometimes and do things more efficiently in order to, to earn money and not have to bend. She never wanted to bend to the label. She never wanted to make that hit they want her to make. So that said, I really had to try to push her to do things a little differently and it was hard because she started at 17 with a big manager and a major label and then talk about luck that somebody i used to know thing hit uh which was essentially i think ashton kutcher tweeting the video out saying this is rad <laughs> you know what i mean and it's like one of the i think it was the most downloaded song of almost of all time at least during that, that time period yeah so uh she and she was on it so hope she got a cut what hope she got some some uh some mailbox money um not really she 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 did not get back end on that so let's just put it that way god damn it <laughs> i made sure everything that she did moving forward she did but yeah. obviously it wasn't that one <laughs> yeah so so yes absolutely i did learn things from that world and i think people like you and i are, are really valuable around those type of things because like you said, we've always had an interest in how things work and how the uh, sausage is made, so to speak. And um, we've always enjoyed interacting. We've always considered the business side just as much of the art, just as much of the creative. Just It's like the packaging, the label, the contacts, the uh, connections, uh, the opportunities, the way you do things, who you who you work with those have always been synonymous with the music for people like you and me. And so, uh, but we come from a place where we really didn't need much to get moving. And that's rare. That's very rare. And like I said, it's those startups like the Googles and the Microsofts and stuff like that, that were like us. They didn't care if they had the best amp. They didn't care if they had a good guitar. They didn't care if there was five people watching them or a thousand people watching them. We, Got on stage. We did it. For the first almost year of Dillinger, I didn't even have an amplifier. I borrowed one every single show. From <laughs> yeah, I, I, And my guitar was like a Michelob guitar from a bar. It said Michelob on it, and I spray painted it silver. And I still made the band. I still played shows. And so did these startups. They didn't care if they had seed money or this or that, whatever. They got in a pizza and soda and got on a computer in the garage and they just programmed and made something they believed in and thought was awesome because they had to. And so there's a lot of, uh, there is a DNA there 
that that people like us have that I think is very valuable in that world of bigger music business uh, and business in general that that's that I think is valuable. Well, I, I have to say, I think though, I think you figured that out at a much younger age than I did. Um, I think I think a lot of things that I did early on was such, A, it was so collectively driven. I never thought about it like I'm doing this or I have this idea. It was like, we're, you know, we, it was this collective yeah. and it was hard to tell where my creativity started and the band stopped and every, everyone yeah, else. And I really- the hardest thing about a band. I never felt like I was great. I thought the band was great. Um, but I also think at some point it became about making it or about like looking at, oh, this band is successful. This band is big. I want what they have. Mm. And it wasn't until later, until, you know, maybe my getting into my later 20s when I saw mistakes that the band made or I saw, uh, kind of missteps in terms of philosophy and how you kind of directed those things and that. And I think what you're talking about is very counterintuitive, which is, hey, everyone needs to pay their bills. Everyone wants to make money, but the way you make money is by not caring about money. And that is that is some Zen shit, you know? Like, and it also takes a lot of faith because sometimes the motherfucking rent is due, right? It is, but as you know, you can try and write a, what do you want to say? I don't know. Kill Switch Engage song, Slipknot song, whatever. You can try and dress like them. You can try and sign to the same label as them. It don't mean shit. It don't mean shit. It doesn't mean you're going to make it. It doesn't mean you're going to pay a bill. You know, you can hustle your ass off. You can make albums you know 10 times funny? I could what? probably go back to both those bands, including a band like Motley Crue or Korn, and show you the hundred bands that got signed, ripping them right. off, and actually did make a lot of money doing that. I can show you right now, I'll probably have to call them oh. out, you know, ten, a dozen bands that have ripped off Bring Me the Horizon and have a oh. fucking big hit because they're just going like, yes, it's true that in the long run maybe it doesn't work, but sometimes it kind of does. <laughs> Like no, where the, right. the well, listen, I don't agree because, like you said, if if they don't have something special, if they don't have it, like they might have one hit. It's not the same time. There was a time when people took took the uh, took the lead with the with the grunge thing and thought, oh, Nirvana's big. These guys just went and signed every band like Nirvana, and it was a hit. No, they didn't sign every band like Nirvana. They signed bands that had the same spirit as Nirvana. Soundgarden was the prog band of grunge. Alice in Chains was the metal band of grunge. Nirvana was the punk band of grunge. Pearl Jam was the jam band of grunge. The grunge was the attitude, but they did not sound the same. They were not formulaic. For sure. They all had very different things. And then you had these labels just trying to sign anything that sounded like the thing that did well. And I mean... Like, sure, there were bands that did well uh, in the formula that did okay, but who was thanking Incubus? Incubus will play the rest of their lives. They could play forever, you know? And they were very, um, they were very, they sounded like Faith No More in the beginning. We all know that. But they found their groove. They found their own way. And they became legitimately an individual, unique, 
um, uncompromising special band who did things very DIY. They got their own studios. They record their own albums. And they'll do it forever. That band can do it forever. Who was Tank? I'm not so sure about. You know, Puddle of Mud versus Nirvana. Any member of Nirvana could go play a show with any, with any side project, and it'll still be a, a lot ten times more people than a Puddle of Mud show. So, I mean, I just what I'm saying is is that um, I know you, what you mean. I I, I, I totally know what you what mean. What I'm saying is I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you that like sometimes we worried so much about looking at what the bands that were doing well were doing or trying to be the bands that were doing well or trying to follow that path instead of trying to follow the path of the band that was really just inspiring. What made Nirvana massive was not looking at the career path of um, Aerosmith. What made Nirvana massive was looking at the career path of the Melvins. The Melvins were their favorite band. That was it. They didn't, they weren't trying to be some massive MTV rock band. They were like, we love this band, the Melvins. Where did they record? Who, who, who recorded the Melvins? This guy. All right. Then we're going there. They record their album there. This guy did all the album, all the stuff for Sub Pop. That was their favorite label. The guy said, let me play it for the guy Sub Pop. I think he'd dig it. I told the guy Sub Pop, you should put out this seven inch. I think this band's pretty good. They put out the Nirvana seven inch. Then the dots, the dots, the dots, the dots, the dots are the biggest band in the world. So, um, and, and, they, and they changed the world, completely changed the world. I saw Teen Spirit and I was like, what is this? He kind of sounds like he's got a scratchy voice like Sting, but he's not. He's just <laughs> like, grunt. what is this? I don't even know what's going on. It changed everything, you know? So, um, oh, my dog just walked in. So, uh Sure, there, there, there were ways to create cookie cutter versions of things that did well, and there may have been some business behind it. But they also all had massive managers who were helping them go into that cookie cutter. They had business managers. They weren't punk rock. They weren't optimizing their 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 income because if they were doing it that way, people would have never followed it. Those bands could have never played in some underground squat or in a VFW hall. Nobody would have given a shit. They needed big managers and big labels that were convinced that they were going to be the next blah, blah, blah. And so from what I, my experience is, they may have been able to be fit into some mold and be pushed on some tours and pushed into some marketable categories for a little bit, but they're fucking broke and they ain't going to be able to do it forever. So that's kind of the point of my course. No, no, I think I think that's that that's some really great observations there. And uh, part of me almost wants to go back through the history and like look at all the kind of because we, we know this happens where it's like here's the big band, and then here was like the copycat or oh you heard it on the yeah. radio like oh I thought that was that but there was this right, and then what the trajectory of like who who made it out of that, who, cause I think what a lot of times, and cause we're, a lot of us are guilty of this, where uh -huh. our first record is derivative of something else. Absolutely. And then we like find our own sound. Right. And yes. then we kinda, you know, um, and I think that's, some that's people for don't. But some people don't. And that's the yeah. difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, but I'm, I'm very interested, but I do think in the short term, for sure, it can be, you know, you can definitely kind of get in and get out 
and have some uh, some 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 success there. But I don't want to I don't want to beat this. Well, no, no. Uh, but you, you know, like I said, the first thing I say when I get in these courses, I'm like, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, then this isn't for you. And if you can't sit back and take a few minutes and think about it, like, why do you need to exist? What does your art or your music do say or do? What's important about it? What hole does it fill? It needs to be filled. Why, why does it need to be there? If the answer is money and chicks, I can't help you. Go, Someone go, can help go. you, but I can't. <laughs> Someone can help you, but I can't. Well, well, no, the truth is, is like, that's a byproduct of success. Sure. But it's not the reason. So like, yeah, do we all want money and chicks? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> but like, that's a great byproduct. If you do well, great. You, you, you can meet great people and make some money. But to me, it was not like you said, you, you say it's like this dichotomy of like, you want to do well, you want to be able to do this and monetize it so that you can continue to have a career. But like, what I'm saying is do it by not caring about money. Um, to me, if you don't know, have a reason other than money, if, if, if people did things only for money, there'd be no value. There'd be no value. There'd be no Picassos. There'd be no, there'd be no high art value in anything. There'd be no Nirvana, you know? So, um, that is, that is kind of what this course is for and what it's about for the people who, who recognize that and want to be part of that way of doing things. Absolutely. Um, given, you know, there's, there's certain things that you talk about, um, with the changing, uh, kind of metrics, right. Of, of what makes a label interested or what makes people on the industry side, take an artist seriously. And, you know, you talked about some of the, uh, TikTok numbers and things like this being kind of, a uh, just a new hoop we have to jump through. Do you, does that kind of make you a little more cynical about the modern approach or landscape or how artists have to figure out their way? Like if you were 19 years old and jumping into the, 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 the deep end of the pool now, would you be mm -hmm. less excited about that, that kind of environment? Or are you, yeah. do you think, are you hopeful about it? Good question. I mean, I, um, I got it. I have an 11 year old son. So I see a lot of this TikTok and roadblocks and Fortnite and the way they're communicating and the way they're learning about things and the way culture is influencing them. And uh, I mean, I could, people could have said the same thing about message boards for us and things like that in MySpace and all that. I mean, it was great when Nine Snails put Dillinger in their top 10 MySpace friends. Remember, there was just like you had a top oh, yeah. 10. The top, or the top that, eight. Was it top eight? eight? Yeah, top Something, eight. you know what I mean? So, I mean, that was just pure curation. So when a band like Nine Inch Nails put Dillinger Escape Plan next to Depeche Mode or whatever, I mean, that was just blew my mind. That was just blew my mind. It was so special. It was so special. Uh, and there's probably people from the old days. I'm like, wow, with this MySpace thing. Back in my day, you had to go play on a stadium tour with the 10 hair metal bands to get some recognition. Now they just get in the top eight. You know, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, and I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade all the record sales in the world for not having a Spotify or something. Being able, especially now doing scores and thing like that, things like that, being able to reference anything, any movie score, any classical album, anything I've heard about and just check it out. I mean, that is amazing. I, I, I think that's amazing. Um, and even 
with something like uh with TikTok or uh or media that that the kids are into my son listened to juice world and soundcloud rap basically and stuff that in my opinion is just such a small lower level than the hip-hop before it um it's just very trite just pussy this fuck this i mean and, and I, obviously i'm not i'm not approved i like me some nwa you know but uh it, it's just the same beat over and over again it's they're just putting out billion songs even after they're dead somehow like a billion songs and then he saw metallic the metallica thing on stranger things and it was reposted constantly on on tiktok and things like that and ty Trujillo, who you know who, who plays in suicidal and who you yep. know very well played played guitar on that song on played the master of puppets guitar in that song in that version on stranger things next thing you know my son wants to wear a metallica shirt he wants me to play master of puppets constantly in the car we're bonding over something special now that's going to last a lifetime you feel you feel there's an extra layer of kind of depth with that musical culture yeah, there's 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 an opportunity for things to resurface. Look at there's this Lady Gaga song that I never even really heard before when it was out or when the album was out, and now there's this TikTok dance that the Wednesday, the show Wednesday, Adam, yeah, 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 sorry, Dr. Wednesday is doing this dance. They did this dance to this Lady Gaga song. That song is dope as shit. Like, I, I my kids want to hear that song over and over again now, and I'm like, yeah, let's fucking pump this. It's dope. She's screaming in it. It's like dark. It's it's cool. TikTok did that. So it is what it is. So even if uh, artists you're working with like Kimbra, kind of like I feel like it is a little bit of a kind of song and dance monkey act that we have to do to kind of, you know, placate. I mean, we've heard this. I think the story was um, Halsey, you know, had an issue with her record uh, basically being possibly shelved because she wasn't creating the type of viral content that the label right. wanted her to um mm -hmm. and and part of me considering that you know the the tagline for for your course is is uncompromising like is that a compromise mm -hmm. if you don't want to well, do it or if you feel I like mean, you're... If, a, if a label knew how to create a viral moment they're every single major label artist would be doing well no they're not saying that's the same way of going go make a hit they don't know how right. to make a hit as right. far as they're concerned it's your job to figure out how to make a hit or it's your right. job to figure out how to go viral but they're just going to do so, the thing so go, i'll tell go you, be viral <laughs> right well i'll give you a story about that right now and this is what i think about some of that to be quite honest that you asked me about the technology uh and I told you, I don't mind it. But what I do mind is the way the, in the, the industry is, is hanging on it in order to determine what's good and what isn't. Um, so uh, I've recently stopped working with Kimbra and I've stopped, I've, I've stopped managing. I've decided. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. No, it was very recently. I, you know, I, I worked on the last album with her, set up all the photo shoots and hooked her up with the producers, A&R the album with her. And I was like, I need to work on my music again. I need to just focus on what I can control. And um, some of the burnout I got from that was playing people what, in my opinion, was the best album she's ever written by far. Uh, and them just asking her TikTok numbers. And I'm like, she doesn't even have a TikTok, honestly. She doesn't want to do it. And they're like, eh, we'll pass. And 
I'm like, do you want to hear it? <laughs> and I actually have a very good friend who I'm not going to mention any names, who is very high up at one of the, if not the biggest major label in the world. Um, and he said to me, if she doesn't have that kind of viral thing going on, we can't even look at it. I can't bring this to the table. And I said, why the fuck? What happened to the days when someone saw some kid playing in a piano bar in Iowa and said, this kid has it. Like you talked about it. This kid has it. We have the power to get on the radio. We have the power to make this a massive hit. And they do it. They say, we see the talent. We know it's it. We know put this kid in front of teenagers, put them on the radio, put them in front of thousands of girls or whatever it is. And it's going to be massive. And they did it over and over again, but it took, a&Ring. It took somebody who could see it, could seeing work. a Buddy Holly or seeing a, a an Elvis or whatever you want to call it. And, and they did it all the way up until recently. They made stars. And I mentioned before, like a Justin Timberlake. I mean, he had no viral situation. He was just something special. And he's he had sticking power. He had sticking power. He didn't have to have a billion TikTok views or YouTube views in order to be who he is. He is who he is. So in my opinion, arguably you still can, I think it's, there's still value in finding somebody who's just not interested in that game, but has it. Now you be interested in that game for them because you know, you have the power. You could say, you're not going to get the new Eminem track if you don't play this and it's going to be on the radio in front of millions of people or Sirius or XM or whatever. So uh, it bothers me. And this guy, I argue with him and, and I said, this is bullshit. Like, why don't people want to expose something good anymore? Why do they have to look at numbers to determine if they're going to invest in it and make it? And he said, why the fuck not? We're a record business. Why should we take risks when we don't have to anymore? You just, you're, you're, I mean, you're, I mean, I'm, you're answering your own kind of quarry you know it's it's and he's uh, like i can i can like something and be a fan but we don't have to invest in it and i and that was i said to myself uh this isn't for me anymore yeah you know well, i i'm not interested in 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 uh in managing influencers and that's what you have to do so uh i've just been doing my my own thing i i, I consult and i work companies and i help people and i write with people and i produce and uh, I do scores and I work on all kinds of things, but I'm not interested in, 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 in arguing about TikTok numbers anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because on one hand, you told a story about uh, having a positive interaction with technology and change, but also on a professional level, you know, that's it's a bit heartbreaking to kind of hear that, you know, uh, not only the story, but also you kind of your reaction to it. And I think a lot of us who, who have been doing this for a very long time probably have similar stories. Mm. And it's funny, made me think about the forthcoming Bad Wolves record, which I think is going to be fucking great. But also cool. the, the difference between now and when we did our last album is now I don't have the delusion that it being good, good is enough. Mm. You know, like before right. I was like, right. I was like, the music matters and it does. It's not that it yeah. doesn't matter, but it's right. about aligning good music with a bunch of other components to give yeah. it that that um kind of uh 
fuel to uh, you know to give to, give, to, to, to you got yeah well you need the spark but yeah it takes the gasoline yeah and but it takes a, a few different elements right you know right. that we that we mentioned earlier um but i'm like it's really good but it's 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 not enough anymore uh mm. and so it's it, and but i'm okay with that i don't have i don't have some you know some like oh i'm woe is me i mean that's one of my biggest problems actually with musicians in general is what is bitching musicians about yeah it's hard i'm just like motherfucker it was never easy all right right and and that's <laughs> what i love about you too i mean you 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 could give a master class on like just navigating the industry in the way that you have I and mean, it's a different way than i have but like you you know things and you've done things that are, are people have been trying to figure out forever you know so um well, to me, yeah. my, my, my one lesson is you just have to, if you want to be like me, you have to just not give a fuck. And the, and the thing is, I, you know, I, I don't have the most money in the world. I don't have and, you know, I don't it really depends on what you want out of life. And I think you mm -hmm. make choices. If you, you know, if you want my life, then you have to not care about stability <laughs> because yeah, it's, I've it's never had anything to hang my hat on. Mm -hmm. And I've put this first. And so you mm -hmm. could probably look at my life and go, oh, maybe if I would have done taken door A instead of door B, maybe I'd have a, a kid by now. Maybe I've, I'd own a house by now. You know, there are certain things right. that, so sure. there, there's a lot of sacrifice there to sure want is. to do what I do. Um, and to me, it's like every lesson I feel like I could give, A, everyone's situation is different, right? So what worked for, a certain band or a certain artist is just not going to work for someone else. And then I look at half the things that happened to me that you could look at as like a good thing or successful. I don't even think it's because I can't, I don't even feel like I owe deserve credit for it. I feel like shit just happened to work out at the right I, time. Look, and it makes me look like a genius. Syndrome, you know what I mean? We yeah. all have imposter syndrome. Um, but look, I'll say stuff. I'll say it. So you don't have to, uh, I mean, there's nobody else in God forbid that's done what you have after the band. So, uh, you know, you need to see that there's something about you, more hustle, more, more like a, <laughs> you know, more talent, more, more drive, more, whatever it is, uh, that combination of things that that's made you hustle and got where you got and, and, um, done it with integrity. So, you you can have all the imposter syndrome you want, but just the proof is in the pudding, you know? And, and I feel the same way. You asked it before, do I ever feel like I don't have it? Do I have it, you know? Yeah. And that's really tough because I'm on every, I'm on all these guitar lists, like fastest guitar, best guitar, blah, 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 guitar player, blah, 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 blah. And I know I don't consider myself a guitar player. I, I'm just an instrumentalist. I'm a, a songwriter. I I, I just... I don't know. Like I never played guitar because I never made a band because I just wanted to shred guitar. Like I shredded guitar to be in the band. Like I wanted to be in a band, in a group. And as much as I tried to maintain a group and a, and a, and a pack of, of wolves, you know, that stuck together, stuck together at the end, I was the only original member and I'd done multiple Dillinger albums with three different singers, multiple drummers, you know, every, everybody and everybody was important. There's no one person that makes the Dillinger collective, but I know that I know my role in it. 
is undeniable. And, um, and I know that I do that well. I know I do that well. So it is what it is. Do I think I'm a great guitar player? Do I think I deserve to be on these lists? All that stuff makes me uncomfortable, but I know what I am and I know what I'm not. And I, and I know what I do well. And uh, that I have no doubt about anymore. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, yeah, I think that's, a, that's very well put. I would just fa- say from my own perspective, this business and the way I exist in the business is you're only as good as your last song, your last record, your last performance. And I feel it feels a lot like what I imagine an aging athlete must feel like where you go, Oh, if I'm, if I'm one beat slow, yeah, then I'm, I'm out of the job. And maybe that, I think that uh, worry and fear is what keeps you sharp and what goes, it, it's just the, my mindset is never get comfortable uh-huh. because whatever position you have, I, cause I've been up and I've been down, right. Uh-huh. I've been, I've had opportunities and then been, you know, the band selling records one day and now you're not selling records one day. You're selling tickets one day, you're not selling tickets the other day. So I just know it's a roller coaster and sitting around and hoping for it to to get to where you want it to be is not going to do anything. You have to go out there and and make things happen and and just be on top of it. And it's this, like I said, it's not necessarily, I, I think the imposter syndrome is real uh absolutely and you're never going to like have the perspective of how people perceive you right or how fans Mm -hmm. perceive you and they put you on this pedestal and they think you're the bee's knees uh because we are completely have all the knowledge about our shortcomings things we need to work on areas of improvement and just you know it's and so it's this balance right like i think especially when you're as like the yeah, I think of myself as a live performer is like you kind of need a little bit of ego and a little bit of I'm a fucking badass to go out there and be a badass, right? Yeah. And that, but the the fucking balance between not letting that person be the egotistic t- egotistical asshole who thinks they're a fucking rock star, and then you take that off the stage in other areas of your life where you maybe act a certain way or you know it's it. It's just a fucking tough balance, right? Of yeah. being I'm the shit and I'm I am shit. <laughs> right? Like and it's yeah. it, you know, that's yeah, that's it's just a tough balance. You know, so it's it's something that I personally struggle with and then you know, it's always even like like uh I started listening to uh R- Rick Rubin's book on mm. tape re- recently and yeah. uh how is it? I mean, it's it, it's a little. The beginning is a little woo woo, little like it's very like mystical and kind of poetic. Yeah. I like it when it gets a little more into like, here's what Eminem does. That yeah, is, yeah. You know, it's relevant. So I I like some of that stuff. It's very like, you know, almost it's some of it's not too far from like what would be in a Deepak Chopra book or something, which yeah, I've read, which I've read too. He's a meditating guy. He meditates. He, he's a spiritual guy, Rick Rubin, you know? Yeah, sure. and all that, and I think all that stuff's relevant. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, but to me, it's part of the reason why I picked, I got it is because I felt like I hit a rut, you know, and mm-hmm. I just needed to get back in touch with some pure, yeah, like, pure creativity, pure spirit, pure truth of, you know, yeah. something that I think you are tapped into and that you are kind of really putting that message out there with, with this 
It's coarse. Upstairs. Oh, thank you, miss. Hello. There we go. That's a good look. Now, let me tell you something real quick about what the most important thing is. We're talking about all this stuff. Now, I agree. Like, being on a high vibration, I'm not into uh, – I'm a skeptical person. But I truly believe in serendipity, and I do believe that there's a higher level of energy that some people tap into more than others, and we don't nearly uh, optimize our abilities to do it. And I know that, you know, I, I study transcendental meditation with Nancy Cook de Harara, the same person that uh, Rick Rubin did and the Beatles. And um, I know that when I started doing that, there were things that were happening. I couldn't explain just, just opportunities connecting with people that I, I was listening to music, this band, and I just was totally into it. And somehow now I'm working with, it. you know, and, um, and I think like vibrating on a high frequency definitely creates opportunity and, and not worrying about like anything, but just doing great stuff and, and caring about it and sticking to your guns and, and continuing to network. You can't just hide off in a basement. No, anywhere. It, it, that's true. As you know, you've got to be around people. You've got to try and people got to know about it. They got to hear about it. But I, I, I think people like you and I have found a group of good people who are influential, who are successful in the world that we're in, but are also legitimately good people. And I think they see that we're real people and, you know, people like Rob and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and, and so we've been lucky enough to, um, I think, give off that energy and the vibrations that have brought the right kind of successful people into our realm. And, we've been peers with people that we could have never imagined because we are positive. We are just trying to keep doing cool stuff, keep moving, keep swimming and, and do it with some integrity and, and, and be good people. And so uh, I do believe that a great deal of, of, of that, that stuff is, is, is uh, vibrating on high frequencies, you know, positive high frequencies. It really is. Yeah. And now I'm the other thing I was going to say is I don't smoke tobacco. But the pipe, if you want to win any negotiation, you need a pipe. Watch this. Watch this, okay? Uh, let's see. Um, say something like, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. You're going to give me a price, okay? I'm gonna say, okay. So uh, I need you to uh, play guitar on this uh, song for me. What are you going to charge me? It's going to cost you about five grand. I'm going to give you two. <laughs> you, can't, you can't say no to that. I mean, but what if I was smoking a cigar at the same time? I think it like, well, like it cancel each other out. <laughs> You're going to get two. All right. I'll, I mean, that's just like, take it, it. It, like it takes the nuts off a guy immediately. But, but like, here's the like, thing. I, I, but here's the thing. I only wanted 1500. So I actually won. I, I overballed well, you. Go. I mean, you, 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 or you had I an internal you. pipe. That's I the know. internal pipe. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is, is like you just you you make them sit a little bit because you're fucking with your butt, you know. See, but I also think you have ancient fisherman vibes. Like I like it just looks you look very natural with that. Um you know, and that's just you know, like cool fishermen though. You know, like what was that movie, <laughs> The Lighthouse? They were cool fishermen, right? <laughs> yeah, just, just busted ass. I am a busted ass old 
bitter, crunk, crinkly old motherfucker. No, dude, you listen. I've seen that the, your the, your Soundfly stuff, and you know you're in there HD. All right, 4K. You're you're, <laughs> you're you're one of these. You know, see, and this is rare in the wild is to find the white people who don't age because usually it's like black don't crack, Asian people don't don't be looking old. But when you find some white people that don't that don't age, you're like, okay, what's going on here? All right, what is? I age, man. Where? Let me tell you something. Got a wrinkle on him, guys. Don't don't listen to him. Don't listen. To him. His hair uh-huh. isn't gray yet. All right, he's still got ladies, hair. Ladies, I'm in an interview. For God's sakes, I got two little ladies in dress little dresses coming in here. You're too. I don't. Well. It's it's listen. It sounds fun. All right. It sounds like there's a lot of action and activity. I, I and play a lot around here. I have a lot of playing going on. That's amazing. Like, so but that's part of it. Staying young. Staying young is just continuing to be creative. Play. I do feel old. I do feel uh, achy, and but I definitely don't feel my age. And uh, I do think I've aged quite a bit. But I definitely think the world we come from keeps us young to some degree. Because most of these people our age, they look like just fat, gross dads. I mean, I didn't realize it, but sometimes I'm like, man, that that guy's forty. I'm forty seven. He looks ancient, you know. So, I think our attitudes have a lot to do with just the the young vibe. But listen, you want you want to feel young? I, Go watch you. the first season of Sopranos and then realize you're about like ten years older than than James Gandolfini was, right? First, and he looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know he. But you know that's what I'm saying? a normal guy. Yeah, that's but what he, a normal guy looks like. No, no, no. He's not normal because this dude was drinking and drugging and hoeing and gambling. Like he was doing all the stuff that makes you look old. You know, he was living uh, hard. Okay, whiskey, uh, steak, paying for pussy. All right, wow. You know, I used to. You know, I I used to be an extra on the Sopranos. No shit. Yeah, I used serious? to do after tours. I would do extra work on the Sopranos to make money. I mean, tours. North so Jersey, I was in man. That's crazy. I was in some I'll say this, but definitely go back and re- I, me and my girl been been rewatching it, and it's like okay. I've watched it in probably twenty years, and it's so good. All right, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna rewatch it. Oh, it's so good, so good, so much, so much fun. So I'm I live far from Jersey now, but it makes me feel like yeah, you see home. that that intro just. Driving over the bridge. <laughs> See, I just I just watched the epi- episode where Tony goes on a racist rant because she brought home a mixed dude like me, you know. Yeah. And he just and he leaned into it. I was like, I was like, I hope the crew kills. I I want Tony dead. Yes, racist you're like mother. Tony. You just done went too far. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. So now I'm rooting against him. You know, yeah. I know it lasts for a lot more seasons, but I'm just hoping that. And that when it goes black in the last yeah, season, that he's there. There are some offensive moments. I mean, for me, I was very offended when they had that episode where Christopher and uh, Paulie go in the woods chasing after that Russian guy. Yeah. And they they get lost in the woods, and they have to eat ketchup, <laughs> and they just don't do. And the guy is like, if they don't catch him, they're dead because he's gonna go back and tell the mob, the Russian mob, that they trying to kill him, and now they're fucked. They had to catch him. And then the next episode, it just, they never went back to it. It just, they never addressed it. Ended. Right. Moved I on. Thought, what the fuck? I, I, I don't know why that's personally offensive that. to you, but you're just, you're just pointing was, out things you don't like about the show. No, it, listen, I have Russian background. Gotcha. Gotcha. And 
I'm trying to think of how I can how, how I can fix this now. Uh, it's all right. Well, listen, I'm saying there was additional offensive things to your gotcha. personal offensive things. Gotcha. You're just you, you do you do a little nitpicking. I get it. I get it. No, but see, but but the offensive thing that you felt was offensive was indicative of his character. Yes. This kind of ignorant, old school Italian mob guy. I had an issue with the show. This was a this was a decision. This was an issue with the show. Well, they this is listen, this is the uh the trick of the modern antihero, which started with uh with with Sopranos, the the kind of television protagonist, is that you know they're bad, but then they make you like them. Like them. But then they had Save the cat. Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, that that's a screenwriting book, right? It is. As long as Actually, they do something to make you like them, then they can be bad. Damn. As See, they want. I actually have that in my Audible, and I still haven't listened to it. So, good save reminder. What, once I'm done with Rick Rubin, I got to move on to Save the Cat <laughs> and write write my uh my Oscar winning screenplay. You're gonna so, do it, man. You're gonna do it. So. Kind of go back to uh, the crux of what we were we were talking about. I'm I'm the king of segues, by the way. So so you're I, welcome. I don't know what a crux is, but let's do it. Let's get into it. Um, so the fact that you're breaking news, and and I hope people know this. I hope Blabbermouth picks this up. Breaking news that Ben Wyman is done with management and he's back to work on his own music. And something I I don't I don't know if I asked this question the last time we did the podcast. I probably didn't, but I I, I wrote it down here was you were a band guy you did your band it did a bunch of stuff it changed your life and you ended it and then you went like i said into this disparate world of i'm gonna do a little bit of this a little bit of that being the age you are is it has it ever dawned or something felt in your heart of hearts to do the band thing again where it's like your main thing it doesn't have to be dillinger but just something where it's like I want to dive into this again. I see the, the head is shaking no right now. Nah. Is it just too I much know, fucking work? I have children. It's a lot of work. Uh, children. Have you heard of the Partridge family? All right. Put these motherfuckers to work. All right. Get them some. You just, yeah. your boys listen to Metallica. Train these sons of bitches up and start yeah. bringing in. It's like, yo, there's a mortgage is due. All right. You think you, you think it's a free oh, lunch I around here? I children. Feel I feel you. It's a tough one. I mean, because. <laughs> Uh, initially suicidal had asked me to do much more gigging. And I said, I'm as much as this is an honor, I I can only do so much. I've got kids. I got to bring them to school. I got to like, it's just, uh, and I, and and farm animals and like, I have responsibilities now. And, um, I just can't do it. Doing it, not doing it right. Kind of isn't, I don't really do things. Not, not full on, you know? So, um, I don't think I would ever do a band again like a real band. I might make albums. I might play a show or something, but I don't think I would ever full-time try and make the, a, a band my thing, you know? And uh, also I, I, I feel that there's, I've learned that sometimes um, too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, doesn't uh, get the, the stew done, you know? And so I like being a hired hand and, or, I like being like, look, I'm doing this thing. Um, this is what I need. If you want to do it, be great. I'd love your thoughts. I may not take your advice. I may take your advice, but I'll always respect you. But uh, it's my thing. Are you interested? And so I think it would either be kind of like that thing or 
what do you need, boss? Yeah. And you either want to be I the like, captain of the ship or a, or a ship hand. Yeah, I'm what? not interested in, in everybody arguing and thinking that they know best. It just doesn't work. So um, I've found scoring very humbling and very cool because I, w- I was lucky enough to be in a band where I had pretty much full creative control to make whatever noise I wanted to and a lot of the a lot of the creative decisions, you know? So now that I'm doing movies and stuff, um, I've had to learn how to change things. I love, yeah. Uh, get rid of things I've worked on for countless amount of hours and just delete, you know, it's not, they don't like it. Directors want it. And that's been empowering. It's been really empowering to be able to let go and not be so obsessive and just enjoy the process, enjoy the now, uh, and be okay doing that. And I, I actually, I actually like doing it now. I like, and I've been lucky enough to work with directors and things that want kind of my thing that, that are dig what I do. Uh, so that's lucky. I, I haven't had someone hand me like a temp score and be like, do this. Um, and uh, I'm sure it may happen, but uh, that's been a really enjoyable experience. Me by myself in a room, scoring, making music to, and collaborating with a movie and uh instead of a band member or a singer or whatever thriving off each other on stage i like the idea that uh sometimes when there's amazing acting i have to pull back and sometimes when there's awful acting i need to fix it you know music can fix that by counteracting like the overacting or the overexpression by by doing matching it even more or whatever there, there's ways to do that and i love that i love that dynamic i love the art of that as well so i'm enjoying that right now and is that something that uh you're doing consistently is that kind of your bread and butter these days or what um well i i did have a run of really good i I did um in a period of like two years i did two john malkovich films a tyrese film antonio banderas film uh and then I'd started on a documentary, but unfortunately the subject died. So that's been put on hold. So kind of has a new, new ending now, but uh, hopefully that'll happen. And, um, and now I'm working on a kid's show. So I've been doing um, music for a kid's show. I'm uh, co-creating and that's a whole nother world. So, so I'm just enjoying trying new things and incorporating myself into these new worlds right on well dude that's i mean that's cool like so i was expecting something different so i thought we're going to get more into the management thing but you've you're you're evolving and you're you're moving things but here's the question all right so like furnace fest or blue ridge or vakin or you know reading and leeds like what's how big a check i'm talking about like one of these pat what, sajak what would, what would get me out of bed what's the pat sajak like how big physically because the number i don't care about i need but do they need what are we talking about all right we talk like 200k 300k well, what they gotta do i mean i mean because uh, yo um, you got you got kids need to go to college do you know what i'm saying don't don't let don't don't fuck that up you know all right. <laughs> yeah, because hey, mean, man, <laughs> we said it was over. <laughs> well, look, I, I mean, it, we also have to be on the same page. There hasn't been a whole lot of there hasn't been a tremendous amount of Dillinger business that could still be happening because some of us are not on the same page, and we can't just get on the phone and sure, sure, and agree on things. Now, I own the band, I own the name, I could do whatever I want, but I've tried to 
do it right. And um, so, you know, me and Greg aren't really, we don't really have the same values. We live in different worlds. Um, and so there's not a lot, a lot of cooperation or communication there. So, I mean, if, if, if more Dillinger stuff were to happen, I'd need to know that it was uh, in the right way on the right, in the right terms and for the right reasons. And um, we'd have to be able to see eye to eye. So I, I'm not sure. Or I just have to go just do it. Do it. Just say, fuck it. I'm doing what I want. What about so, this? What This is the bedroom pitch. You just said there's all this calculating infinity talk. What about just doing maybe some just special shows at like Dimitri or something just to celebrate that album or that period of the band? Um, I'm not going to say we haven't had offers for that. Yeah. There seems to be... Because I, 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 to me, those are almost like two different bands. And to, yeah. for me, the way I perceive the band, you know? Right. Well, truthfully, I, I think I have to get off because I think somebody's here. I have no, it's to all good. I was, I was wrapping up anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right. But what I will say is um, I think there's nobody who got into the band later that wouldn't be excited for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, listen, it's, um, all right, well, there's dogs barking, things are happening, kids are running around. I love you, brother. Thanks Doc, for doing this. I love this. you. I love you. So we could talk forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Call me anytime. Yeah. Anytime. And I'll, uh, I'll put all the links, whatever. Uh, I'll mention that in the, okay. the, the post post interview. All right. And check out this damn course. Cause it's badass. I'm already, I'm already learning from it and I've been doing this forever and I, but you can never, never learn enough. Thank you, sir. Brother, Have a good take night. care. Take care. Bye-bye. just heard the mullet burden which is the opening track from the under the running board ep which i think i want to say came out in 98 or 99 something like that um i think one of the things that really put dillinger on the map they had an ep before that um forgetting the name off the top of my head 
which was good. But when this came out, we were like, okay, these motherfuckers done, done, done solve the equation. Hence their next album, Calculating Infinity. You know, then they, they, they really solved the equation on, on, on that one. But this one kind of set the table. Uh, but anyway, as always, love, love, love speaking with, with Ben. Just uh, his insight, you know, I, I think he has unique perspective and clearly has a lot to share. So check out uh, his course on Soundfly. Um, I've checked out some of it. And I, even for myself, I found it very, very informative and educational. So please enjoy that. I am, uh, I'm out here in Berlin, have to leave this room in less than an hour and have to get on the bus to go to the UK. We have a bunch of shows there, Download Festival. Should be should be a great time. And I am I'm definitely looking looking forward to it. We've been in non-English speaking countries for about a month. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be nice, you know. I mean, listen, you go to the UK and you're like, oh yeah, they speak my language. And they start speaking, you're like, they they speak kind of a different thing. Yeah. Can you can you slow down, sir? I'm sure they feel the same way about us. So uh but the UK for for metal, man, it's just it's the best. All right. It's a it's a vibe. It's a situation I get to see some some good friends when I when I get out there, and I'm uh I'm really looking forward to it. So there was a chance I thought I might leave the tour early, but I think I'm gonna be finishing the tour now. So just because of some passport stuff, not nothing weird. Um, but yeah, just I think I'm, my passport situation is figured out. So let's hopefully they let me in the country, <laughs> and there's no problems. And and yeah, I'm just gonna keep on rocking and. Uh, Thank you guys as always for for listening to the show. Hope you, you know for the basketball fans. I don't know if you guys caught that uh, game seven last night, Heat and uh, Celtics. I, I stayed up. The game stays uh, come on here around two in the morning. Now if it's a matinee, you know early game, maybe I can catch it. You know like ten at night or midnight. But usually it's coming on pretty late. Some of like a West Coast game will come on at like four in the morning. Uh, but I stayed up to watch the game seven because it was gonna it was gonna be history. Either the Celtics were gonna come back from 3-0 and change the world, or we have another eighth seed going to the finals. Technically they're a seventh seed, but you get my point. Um that was a that was a fun game. And I was I was rooting against the Celtics. Not really I don't know if I'm rooting for the Heat, but I was rooting against the Celtics. I'll probably root for the for the for the Nuggets in the in the finals, cause I just like the way they play, man. And I like the way the Heat play, but Joker is whooping everyone's ass. I feel like this guy feels like it's his year, it's his year, and he deserves it. And uh, they, they just play a great brand of basketball, and I think they're they're primed for the win. They have the home court advantage. They have the you know it's tough to breathe up there, up in Denver. So that's a, that, that that's my pick. Not that it's worth much because I feel like all my predictions have gone wrong. <laughs> Don't listen to me this year. I, I do not have to touch. So enjoy. Keep rocking. And Mama's out. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest 
to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.